All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. You come grab a seat. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box, and I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and so, uh, so glad to be with all of you guys and be here this morning. That was, uh, that was cute, right? That was, uh, that, was, uh, that was fun getting to see uh, these kids and then Chris and Elizabeth Gilbo, who are awesome, who lead our kids and worship every single Sunday. What a, what a blessing they are. So pretty, pretty awesome. All right. So um, I love this time of year. Personally, I'm a big fan of the Christmas season, and I love seeing, uh, you know, the lights on the houses, lights on trees. It's a good, it's a good reminder. It's kind of first sign often that Christmas is coming. Personally, Christmas lights are one of my favorite things because growing up, one of my favorite uh, tr- uh, family traditions was putting Christmas lights on our house. And this back to, I don't know how old I was. My mom's here because she came to see her grandkids perform, and uh, it's probably worth the drive. And, uh, the, uh, and so, but I think I was like middle school, Ben and I, what we would do, we lived in a, a two-story house, and our family, and, and what we would do is we would get out on the first floor, uh, the, the roof of the first floor, and then my dad would hoist Ben and I up on our roof. And so we were like kind of young, and we're like, thrown up on top of the uh, roof of our second-story house. And then we would get up there, and it would be a blast because we're, like, way up high, and we'd, like, run around. We weren't supposed to run around, but we'd try to run around. And, and then we would, like, hang over the edge and put the Christmas lights in. And our neighbors would all come out and try to determine if they should call CPS and, you know, and all that stuff. And it was great. We had a lot of fun. But the best part of putting the Christmas lights, my favorite part of this tradition, was that uh, my mom would always make Christmas fudge while we were putting the Christmas lights on. And when the fudge was done, she would bring it out to my dad, who was standing in the yard and barking orders at Ben and I, who were almost killing, you know, about to die up on the top roof. And he, he would take the fudge, and I'm not kidding, he would throw it to us while we're up on the roof. And, and this was like, this was like, it was challenging because if it hit the roof, then it would get the shingle stuff in the fudge and you can't eat it. It was no good. But then, you know, if, if you're trying to die for it to not let it hit the roof, there's a chance that you could die. And so then it was like, so it was, it was really, it's one of my favorite traditions. You got Christmas lights, you got family, you got chocolate, and you got near-death experiences all rolled into one. It was awesome. So I love, I love Christmas lights and have always really enjoyed them, but not just because of good memories, but also because of, uh, you know, from a biblical perspective, the, the uh, symbolism found and why we put Christmas lights on houses. From a Christian perspective, it's a reminder of the theme verse of this whole series that we're doing found in the beginning of the book of John that says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That, that Christmas lights are a reminder that the true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, as he says, he, you know, he himself said he was in John chapter 8. So this is, this is an amazing time to be reminded of, of, of Jesus and what he's done. And the Christmas lights remind me and can remind all of us of that. So this morning, as we continue this series that we've entitled Light of the World, we're, gonna, uh, we're just going to ask a very uh, simple question, and that is, hey, why, why did the world need a light? You know, if Jesus is the light of the world, then that implies that the, the world needed a light. Why did we need a light? And uh, basically, this verse here implies that not only does the world need a light, but because Jesus came as the true light, the light for everyone, then it also implies that 
everyone needed a light. But why? Why is that? And so uh, it's worth noting that when John pens those words at the beginning of the Gospel of John, he wrote them to be a, a proclamation of good news. Like, I mean, you can hear it in it. It's like the true light that gives light to everyone is, was coming into the world. Like, this is good, good news. But, guys, this news will only strike us as good news to the degree that we realized how bad we needed this light. To the degree that we realized how dark our world and our own lives are apart from the light of Christ. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to give some time to think about that. You know, why we need a light, and then the nature of the light that has come. And to do that, we're going to spend time in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 through 7. And it's interesting because this is one of the most famous Christmas passages of all time. But this passage was written about 600 years before the first Christmas, before Jesus came. And yet, this is the proclamation of, of why we need the light and the nature of this light. So if you will, turn with me or go there, or you can just follow along up on the uh, slides. But we're going to be looking at Isaiah 9. Verses 2, 5 through 7. Let me read it for us. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and prince of peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Let me pray. Father, we ask as we begin looking at this passage, you would speak to us, and you would help us see our need for you. Lord, that we would see the beauty of all that you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, that you would move us to respond in light of who you are and what you've done. God, thank you for sending your son into this world to be our light. Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's begin with the need for the light. The need for the light. And right away in this passage, beginning of Isaiah 9, we see it said really clearly the reason we need the light is because the world's dark. I mean, it repeats twice. The people were walking in darkness and living in a land of deep darkness. So in this sense, the backdrop of the Christmas story is, is bleak. It's a, it's a dark place. It's a dark world. But you might ask, okay, you know, how, how in, in what way is the world dark, you know, speaking here, when the Bible says the world is, is full of darkness, like, well, what does it mean by that? Well, when the Bible speaks of darkness, it speaks of it in two different ways, right? It speaks of it in the sense that the world is uh, full of evil and suffering, and that it's ignorant, it's dark in its understanding of how to overcome evil and suffering. So it's dark in that there's evil and suffering, and, and then it's dark in its, its knowledge of how to overcome its ignorance. To, and, and how to overcome it. And if you just think about it, guys, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, this is an example of the darkness that's found in the world. You, you just remember what Christ was born into. It was after, uh, leading up to his birth and then soon after his birth. If, I'm not going to walk through it, but if you did, you would just be reminded of like how oh, again and again there's evil all over the place. Like, for example, there was uh, violence and injustice and abuse of power and Homelessness, refugees, fleeing oppression, families ripped apart, bottomless grief, you could say. And that was a little over 2,000 years ago. You fast forward to uh, today, 
And you could use a lot of those same words to describe what our world is like right now, can't you? I mean, yeah, not to, like, hey, Merry Christmas. Let's talk about how bad the world is. But, yeah, it, it, as 2016 comes to a close, many people have been saying, like, this is one of the darkest years ever. And I don't think that's, I think that's an exaggeration. You go back and talk about some really bad years. But it, there's been many, many instances to remind us of the darkness of this world that happened in this past year. I mean, think about the, the terrorist attacks in Turkey, Pakistan, uh, in, in Orlando, the Pulse nightclub shooting. You think about all the racism that we've seen this year, and the riots and the you know, horrific killings of, Af- of Af- African Americans, and then also the, the killings of the, the officers, police officers. Uh, you think about the, the Syrian refugee crisis, and the, really the whole European refugee crisis. Uh, I mean, you could just go on and on. I'm just barely skimming the surface. In fact, like right here in, in our own ch- church, we've got a, a number of ladies uh, that, so many, I've actually lost count how many ladies in our church are participating in this, which is like, just to think is awesome. But we have all these ladies in our church that are wearing dresses for the whole month of December to, to advocate for and, and raise money to put an end to human trafficking. You know why they're having to do that? Because there's such a thing as human trafficking, and it's all over the place. As we live in a dark world. I mean, if we had the stomach for it and the time, and I could take a mic and I could pass it down to each person on the, here today and, and just say, hey, tell, tell us about your pain and, and your suffering or the injustice that you've you know, experienced this year. And pretty much everybody here, I would guess everybody here would have stories to tell. Broken relationships, miscarriages, loss of loved ones, on and on and on. See, we needed a light because we live in a dark world where darkness permeates the evil and the suffering. And, and it was that way 600 years before Jesus was born. It was that way when Jesus was born. It's that way 2000 and. 16 roughly years after he was born. And the reason why it's still that way is because of the other way that the Bible talks about darkness. Is, that's the ignorant part. We're ignorant. We're, 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 we don't know how to fix the darkness problem. <laughs> we don't know how, how to make there be peace on earth. I mean, Christmas is an awesome time where we, you know, there's just this kind of love in the air and this hope for humanity and all that kind of stuff. But year after year, Christmas has come and gone. And and like, despite what might feel like some progress, no one would say, we, man, we've eradicated the problem. It's not like we're now, you know, everything is soft, right? The darkness is no more. I mean, we just listed all of the examples of what we currently have. I think of this passage, this, this proclamation, Isaiah chapter 9, where he says, verse 2, that, uh, you know, the... Uh, People walking in darkness have seen a great light. And all those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That's one of the great Christmas declarations, one of the great Christmas passages. But it comes right off the heels of Isaiah 8. In Isaiah 8, this is what it says. It talks about, in verses 19 and 20, about how people were consulting mediums and magicians and really the scholars of their day to try to figure out how to overcome the darkness. 
And then it ends, that chapter ends with this, verse 21, 22 says, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land and they will look toward the earth. And that's a key phrase. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. See, what's going on here is that they were looking towards the earth uh, in consulting with their magicians and mediums and all, all those people or their scholars, the, 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 you know, the key thinkers of the day, to try to figure out the solution to overcome the darkness in their world, the evilness in their, in their world. And I, it didn't work for them. And yet, if you fast forward today, we, we do the same thing, right? <laughs> we look to and we put hope in politics or the state, uh, into uh, education, into uh, technology, uh, into, I mean, just a number of different things. The market, you know, we think, man, some, one, something here could be the Savior that will bring about peace and will end this suffering and all this stuff. It's just, we can just figure it out. And, and so we look into the scholars or, or the innovators of our day to fix things, and it just hasn't worked because we're ignorant in how to fix the problem of evil and suffering. And guys, that's the biblical, unsentimental, realistic backdrop of Christmas. The, word is, the world is dark and we can't fix it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Ball humbug, right? That's, that's why you should respond to that one. But like, the more you realize that that's the state of our world and, our, and really our own hearts, the more you'll be overcome. The more you will be overcome with the good news that the true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. Or Isaiah 9, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, that those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. See, the light has come uh, you know, from the outside. Notice he doesn't say that, the, that this light, yeah, you know, the people have seen this light that has sprung up from the world. It says, no, no, this light has dawned on the world. The light has come from outside of the world to bring us what we need to bring peace on the earth and in our own hearts. So let's talk about this, right? This nature of, of this light that has dawned, okay? And, and it's worth noting that you, know, you go to this passage, you see that Isaiah is using... Uh, you know, the symbolism of, of this light being like the sun, right? When he talks about this light that, that has dawned, he's, he's speaking about this light as if it's kind of similar to the sun. And so uh, Tim Keller, he has got a book right now called Hidden Christmas. It's a great book. If you want to pick it up and read it, I really highly encourage you to. In that book, he, he makes this point, right? He's talking about how this light that's dawned is like the sun. And here's a couple of his observations to share them with you. He says, first, that the sun gives life. The sun gives life. See, like if the sun went out, we would all freeze, right? Cut off from the sun, we all die. So in that sense, the sun is a source of life. Well, think about this light that's dawn, this light of God that's dawn. It too tells us, like the sun, is this, God is the source of life. I mean, think about Acts 17, verse 28. It tells us uh, that only in God do we live and move and have our being, See, we only exist because he is upholding us, that God is our creator and our sustainer, that he holds all things together. And so in him, he is our life. And he, uh, but and not only is that true, like with our, you know, our physical bodies, but also with your spirit and soul, that according to Genesis 3, because of sin, we've been 
in a sense, cut off from God, separated from God. And therefore, we, through disobeying God, distrusting God, going our own way, trying to be God's, we've been cut off from the source of life. And because of that, that's ultimately the reason why we will experience physical death. But it's also the reason why we right now are dead or have died spiritually, where we experience loss of meaning and hope and addictive and inordinate desires, deep discontent that can't be satisfied, shame and struggles with identity, and just an inability to change. But hear this. In that darkness, a light has dawned. The light of God brings life and restoration to, re- to really restore all things. This is the nature of the light that has dawned on us, the light that brings life. But it's also not just like the sun in that sense, but it's also like the, the sun, the nature of this light. It's like this in that the sun also reveals truth. In this sense, the light of God also reveals truth. I mean, think about the sun and how it reveals truth. It's a little odd way to put it, right? But, uh, you know, if you've ever been camping... And you've been out at, at night on maybe a cloudy night, uh, sun, of course, not up, but even the sun reflected off the moon, can't see the moon, you can't see, it's just pitch dark. You ever been out in a place like that? Well, if, <coughs> excuse me, choking up here. So if you try to start walking around, you're going to run into things or step on something. If you can't see anything, then you're going to bump into stuff. Why? Because you need the light to reveal the truth of what's in front of you. And guys, in that sense, light reveals truth. Well, guys, that's true of the sun, but it's way more true of God himself. The Bible says that God is the source of all truth. 1 John 1, 5 says that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. To know him is to know truth. In fact, at one level, the only reason you can know anything is because of God right? I mean, God made your mind. He made your cognitive faculties. You can't know anything apart from him. But in another level, uh, you can't even know the truth of who is God apart from God revealing himself to you. And to not know who God is then, as your creator then is to leave you in darkness about who you are as his created. And so you will not know the truth about who he is nor the truth about who you are apart from him. And yet this light has dawned, this light that brings truth. And then one more way, Keller points out uh, that uh, what the, how this light is sim, you know, similar to the light of the sun is he just says that the, the sun uh, is, uh, in its beauty, uh, just brings joy. The sun in its very being brings joy. And this is you know, true literally, like in places where there are only a few hours of daylight at certain times of year, many suffer from depression, right? I mean, this past week, we didn't have a lot of sunlight. You might have been feeling a little gloomy because of that. Uh, the sun, when it's shining, it helps you. It really does. It affects your mood. It brings, it brings joy. Well, guys, again, so much more so with God himself, that we need his light for joy, that God is the source of all beauty and joy. Think about what St. Augustine said. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Expounding on that quote, Tim Keller in his book, he says this, Augustine believed that even when you seem to be enjoying something else, God is the actual source of your joy. The thing you love is from him and is lovely because it bears his signature. 
All joy is really found in God, and anything you do, uh, anything you do enjoy is derivative of, because what you are really looking for is Him, whether you know it or not. You see, it's God's light that brings joy. And so, in light of all this, when Isaiah says, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, he is speaking of the light that is God. For God alone has the life and truth and joy that we cannot generate or find on our own. Because this is the light that has dawned. Now, you might ask, okay, well, in what way has it dawned? Because it isn't that symbolic language. And so, like, how has this light of God come? And, and to that, there's probably a, a number of ways to answer. But let me just uh, tell you a story that I, I remember hearing in a message that stuck with me forever and ever. And basically, uh, the pastor says, back in uh, 1961, the Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human to travel space. Afterwards, the premier of Russia at that time, Nikita Khrushchev, famously announced that Russia was officially an atheist nation, right? Saying, and this was kind of his famous, you know, I'm not quoting him exactly, but his famous logic. He said that we have even more uh, evidence for atheism now because we sent a man into the he- into heavens and God was not there. Now, C.S. Lewis a uh, great theologian and author, was still alive at that time. And, and so he writes an essay called The, the Seeing Eye in response to Khrushchev's statement. And so this is, an, uh, this is part of his book, and he reasons uh, along Khrushchev's thinking, and he, he just points out, he says that if there really is a God, then you would not relate to God the way that someone who lives on the first floor relates to a person who lives on the second floor, Right? I mean, Nikita Khrushchev is saying that we sent someone from Earth, here we are on the first floor, into space, the second floor, to see if anyone was home, and we found that no one was home, and therefore there must not be a God. But Lewis points out that's not the way that we would relate to God if there is a God. No, the way that we would relate to God is the way that uh, you know, Hamlet would have to relate to Shakespeare. See, Hamlet could never know anything about Shakespeare unless Shakespeare wrote something about him into the play. I mean, uh, Hamlet's not going to find anything about Shakespeare by crawling up into the rafters of the stage and looking for Shakespeare, right? It's not going to happen. And he says, no, the only way that Hamlet will know anything about Shakespeare is through revelation. Shakespeare reveals something about himself. And then he makes, Lewis makes the point, but that's exactly what God has done, but even more so. Because God hasn't just revealed himself through word, but as John says, that the word actually took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's how God has come to dawn on us. It's like this, to take this illustration even further, this is part that really has stayed with me for years now, is that there's this author, I don't know how many of you are familiar with her, Dorothy L. Sayers. And she uh, was one of the very first women to ever graduate from Oxford. And she was a writer of uh, mystery, fictional mystery, like detective works. 
And her most famous character was a guy named Lord Peter Whimsey. And Lord Peter Whimsey was a single guy who was an aristocrat and who saw, it was a detective, he solved mysteries. And so she wrote many books about this character, lots of, uh, lots of stories. Well, somewhere along the way, kind of the middle of all of her, her novels uh, around Peter Whimsey, uh, there enters a new character. And the new character is named Harriet Vane. And Harriet Vane, uh, as as uh, Sayers lets us know about this character in her novels, Harriet Vane is actually uh, a, one of the very first women to ever graduate from Oxford. And in the book, she's uh, a, a writer of fictional detective stories. And she and L Lord Peter Whimsey uh, solve some mysteries together, and then they end up falling in love, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. And many people, and this is true, you need to look it up, and many people have commented on how what must have happened is that Dorothy Sayers, the author, uh, had created this character in Lord Peter Whimsey, and over the many stories that she'd written about his life, she, she began to fall in love with him, and that she, he, was, he was lonely. And so she wrote herself into her own story so that she could love this man that she created and that they could be together forever. And that's cute, right? That's sweet. Guys, that's how the light of God is done. He wrote himself into our story. He, as verses 6 and 7 say, he was a child born to us. That, I mean, I think when Isaiah is writing this and his original audience is hearing, like, this great light has dawned on us, and you think, okay, how has this light dawned on us? And you keep reading, and what you see is that, that, that he writes this, right? That uh, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the, uh, the original audience has to think, what in the world? Like, this is how the light is dawned? Why would he go to a baby? And yet, this is why, guys, this is why God came as a child. Because he wrote himself in. And then he lived the life from the very start. He lived the life that we were all supposed to live. And then he died the death that all of us, as a result of our own darkness, deserve to die. But he died in our place. So God wrote himself in because he loved us. And he saw us in our deep darkness and our lack of hope to ever be able to fix this dark world that he came in. And the light dawned on us through the giving of a baby that was God himself. Because that's what this verse continues to go on in verse 7. Like the descriptions here are remarkable, right? I mean, what does it say? That he's a wonderful counselor, that he's mighty God, that's everlasting father, prince of peace. I mean, these are all words all titles ascribed to God himself, right? I mean, think about mighty God. It's pretty clear there. <laughs> but everlasting father, meaning that he is the eternal creator. And yet here, the eternal creator is born? <laughs> what? Right? This is the claim of Christianity, dis different from every other major world religion. That God himself took on flesh. That he lived the life we were supposed to live. 
He died the death we're supposed to die. In doing so, he donned the light that we've all needed, the very light of the world. And that's good news because we desperately needed him to do so. So here's the question. In light of that, in light of that message, that's the Christmas message, how do we respond? How do we respond to the light? And, and really as kind of a way to kind of wrap things up, let me just give you three ways for us to respond to the light. The first, the first way is that we should respond humbly. That we are to respond humbly. And here, here's why. Because it doesn't just say, for to us a son is given, a, a child is born, but it says, for, for to us a son is given. And this idea that Jesus is given is the, is the capture, the idea that, that of the truth that Jesus is a gift to us that you cannot earn and you cannot purchase. There's nothing you can do to, to make God give it to us. He gave Jesus to us freely. It's a free gift. And so because of that, it requires humility on our part to receive that gift, right? And it... it I don't know about you, but if you've ever been given a really awesome gift, like an extravagant gift, there's a part of you that just is like, man, I just can't receive it. And maybe one day I'll earn enough and I'll go buy one of those myself. But like Chris and I have mentioned before, both of the cars that we drive are given to us. And both times like someone gave us a car, it was like that was initial reaction. Like, no, we can't do that. Right? I'll just go earn it. Right, because it takes humility to receive that gift. Now, I've come to that place of humility, so whoever wants to give me more cars, just I'm okay with it now, right? Because the ultimate, the very first, the greatest of all time Christmas gift is the son that was given to us. But it takes humility to receive him. Read in verse uh, when I first read through the passage, Isaiah 50, I read, uh, I read um, sorry, uh, verse 5, and it says this in chapter 9 of Isaiah, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And this imagery, what he's talking about here, it means that the, the, uh, the great victory over evil will not require our strength. We won't need a warrior's boot. We won't need armor or a sword. We can melt them down. We can burn them up. See, someone else is going to fight this war against evil for us. Now, in this passage, it doesn't become super clear who that is other than reference to this son that was given. But if you keep reading Isaiah, then you get to, uh, the, you get to the servant songs of Isaiah 42 through 55. And in that, we read this. He was pierced for our, our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The world is dark, and we can't fix it. And our heart is a huge part of that problem. And it's dark, and we can't fix it. But a light has dawned in the giving of a son that through him, this true light that will bring life and truth and joy has been given to us that we could know life and know truth and experience joy with God. But it's a gift so you have to humble yourself. You have to be humble to receive it. My question to you, if you have never received this gift, is will you today in humility, this great gift of Jesus given for you, the one who is the Prince of Peace, 
who will finally and ultimately one day bring the peace on earth that we long for. Will you receive in humility? That's the first way we respond to this light. The second way we will respond to the light, guys, is strongly. And let us respond strongly to the light. And here's why. Because for if Jesus is really mighty God and everlasting Father, then you can't just like him. We live in a culture, and especially in America today, with so many nominal Christians, it's become a category that was never supposed to be a category where you're just pro-Jesus. You are positive about Jesus. You like Jesus. But guys, Jesus, if he is who he says he is, then, then you can't just like him. Like if he truly is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, your creator, then there's no room to just simply like him. In the Bible, the people who actually saw and heard Jesus never reacted in different, or saw and, and actually, who actually saw and heard Jesus never reacted indifferently or even mildly. Once they realized what he was claiming about himself, either they were scared of him or furious with him and wanted to kill him, or they knelt down before him and they worshiped him. Because this is the light that has been given to us, God himself. When we sing joy to the world as we did this began this morning, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. May it cause us to remember that this is who's come. And so we respond to this light with worship and with an attitude of submission. And whatever you say, you are my king, you are mighty God. May I obey you, may I serve you. Let us respond to this light strongly. And then the final way that we should respond to this light is joyfully. It's joyfully. See, for if Jesus is the wonderful counselor and prince of peace, then you should want to serve him. That we don't just do it out of duty, but out of a, because it's a joy to us to serve him. Think about this title, Wonderful Counselor. What's a counselor? A counselor is someone who, who has oftentimes uh, gone through what you've already gone through and are on the other end of things and that then can provide you counsel from their experience, from the inside of your experience to help you know how to navigate. Well, how in the world is God called a wonderful counselor? was because he came as a baby, and he lived the life that he lived. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted and tried in every way, that he, he can relate to everything we go through, that he can sympathize with us, that this is why he can be our counselor. Because he's known hunger, and he's known betrayal, and he's felt like God hasn't answered his prayers before. When he prayed in the garden, that there's been times where he was rejected by people that he loved and that he had his reputation, reputation dragged through the mud. And on and on and on you can go. You find in Jesus this wonderful counselor who can meet you where you are in the inside of your experiences. Again, that is a claim unique to Christianity that God has done that for us. And when you look at him and you see that, you think, he is wonderful. When Isaiah says wonderful counselor, he's talking about the beauty of Jesus. 
Because when you see Jesus for who he is and you see what he's done for you, then you are moved to respond to him with joy because he is beautiful. He is amazing. To know him is to know joy. And so let's respond to him with the joy that he deserves, but Lord, that even more than deserves, he, he like causes to stir within us in light of who he is. He's our wonderful counselor. He's our prince of peace. We're going to end this morning by taking communion. We take communion because as we contemplate and meditate on the person of Jesus, of the life and the truth and the joy that's found in him as we think about responding to him humbly and strongly and joyfully, Communion serves as a great reminder of the extent that Jesus was able to go, went, uh, went to to bring us to be with him. That his body was broken for us. That's what we remember when we take the bread. And his blood was spilled for us. That's what we remember when we drink of the juice. So that we could be with him forever. So that we truly could have his light dawn on us. This light of life and truth and joy. And so if you've ever placed your faith in Christ, if you ever come humbly to Jesus and admitted that you, sin, that you have sinned and you need him to be your savior, then this is open to you. And if you haven't, if you haven't ever done that, then I want to encourage you to use this time to even now talk to God. Perhaps you would, at this point in time, receive the gift that is Jesus, that your sins would be forgiven that you would be brought into a relationship with God forever and ever. Let the rest of us take this and remember and be moved to rejoice as we continue to sing of how great our God is. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we love you because you have loved us uh, first and with a love that we never deserved. Lord, that we live in a dark world and we have a dark heart and yet you didn't abandon us but God, you came after us. And your great light has dawned on us that we would know true life in you, that we would know truth in you, and that we would know joy in you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came freely and voluntarily and you laid down your life on, on our behalf. Well, that's what we remember when we take communion. May we, as we take this, rejoice and we'll be moved once again to, move, be, uh, to respond to you strongly. For you are our Savior and you are our mighty God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.